Um, so 10 years ago, uh, the Lord uh, said to me after uh, 17 years or 18 years of being in youth ministry, uh, he clearly spoke to me and said, uh, hey, I want you to be a lead pastor. Uh, I argued with him. Um, so I didn't want to do that. Uh, I said, I'd seen what that looks like and what they have to go through, and I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and boy, was I right. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that uh, conversation with the Lord, though, uh, and, I, and I don't know if you have these kind of conversations, but I, but I, hope, I hope you do, because we are in relationship with the God of the universe and the God of the universe, like he, he, he has conversations with us. Like we can ask him, we can argue with him. We can, we can challenge him. We can, you know, we can, yeah, question him. It's, it's okay. Like he can handle that. Um, and so in this process of him uh, helping me to see that his will is best, uh, I, I, I told him, I says, you know, Lord, I says, okay, if you want, you know, you know me, God, I'll, 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 I'll do whatever you want. Like I'll go wherever you want. If, if that's really what you want, I'll do it. But, but, but understand, Lord, like there's two big obstacles I see. And the, the big obstacle is one, I, I have a passion for teenagers, but I don't have a passion for adults. Um, adults are adults. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I know many of you are adults, so I won't uh, expound on that much. But because uh, I'm an adult as well, and I know how I am. Uh, anyway, and, and, but other pe the other piece was that, Lord, I, I told him, I says, I have a vision for youth ministry. I, I know how to do this. I, I, I've, I've got these philosophies. I've got these perspectives. I, I know how to run and lead a youth ministry. I know how to care for uh, a volunteer staff. I know how to care for teens. I know how to engage with them. I know how to share the gospel with them. And, and I says, but I do not have a vision for the church. Like, I says, I, I don't know, what would I do? Like, I mean, how would I lead a church? What, where would I lead them? What would that look like? I says, I mean, they're not going to want to, you know, play games every week, you know, as we start youth group or, or as start Sunday worship, right? It's like, what does this look like? And so I told him, I says, if you want me to be a lead pastor, then I, I just asked, I says, Lord, would you, first of all, give me a passion for adults and the broader church? And second, will you give me a vision for what that would look like and how I would lead. And, and the vision statement that we have as a church that we originally came out with in 2020, I was hired in 2017 and 2020, we came out with a new vision statement and, and the vision statement that we have, and, and I couldn't find our little, uh, we have little vision cards. I was going to hand them out again. Many of you maybe already have them, but if you're new to our church, maybe you don't have them. And, uh, but anyway, I, it, the, the vision statement that we ended up coming up with and describing really came out of what I feel like the Lord began to do in my heart uh, from that day in about 2015, 2014, 2015, when I said, Lord, you need to give me a vision. And I was amazed over the next three years how he began to develop that in me. And then once I got here, how it continued to develop over the next couple of years and how this is kind of came out of that. And, and so I share this in part because um, uh, I, what I'm going to preach about today, our vision statement is, is something that's like near and dear to my heart now, right? It's just something that the Lord has driven deep into who I am uh, as an individual, as a human being, as a follower of Christ, but also as a pastor. And, and so I'll try not to get too, you know, excited about this, but as I preach it, but 
But this stuff is, I think, so essential and so important and so near and dear to my heart. Certainly there's other visions out there with different churches and they all have different, I mean, it's great. I'm not saying this is the only right vision. I'm just saying that this is kind of where the Lord has led me. Our vision simply reads, we are fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, out of that statement, there's, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be fleshed out. And, and I hope those that have been around for the last few years are starting to get used to some of this terminology. I try to throw it into my messages here and there. And, and uh, I preach a couple of times a year on vision statement, at least some portion of it. Uh, but I, I hope it's starting to become familiar with you and you understand what that means, this statement. If, if you're new to our church, then maybe you're still trying to understand what this means but fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ is, it means something. Uh, it seems maybe at, at the service it's just words, and every vision statement is just words. But the question is, is how do you define those words? What do those words mean when you put them together like we've put them together? The reality is, is uh, I think some of the things that the Lord has uh, developed in me or helped me to see over my whole adult uh, existence for the last uh, <clears throat> many years, uh, so many years, uh, is that we, we are, uh, we as a church in general in America are still recovering from what I would call a Christian meritocracy. A meritocracy is what America is. It's the idea that, you know, that you receive value for what you put in. Like, if you work really hard, then the results of that working hard is you get the benefit, the blessing of, a, a, you know, a job well done, but also you get a paycheck. You know, those who work the hardest get the most value. The idea that, you know, we are, our value is based on what we can contribute to society. And the church has grabbed on to this and they've allowed it to infect the way we view our relationship with Jesus, where there are so many Christians today who are filled with pride over their piety, how, how religious they are, how, how holy they are, how they've worked hard throughout their years as a Christian to be able to develop this you know, discipline so, so that they can live righteous lives, so they can do all these amazing things for God. So they can, you know, accomplish and succeed in the Christian realm. They've gone to their Bible studies. They've developed in those discipleship programs and eventually became the one who was teaching those Bible studies. I mean, look how holy they are now. I mean, it's amazing. what they've. So we have these number of Christians filled with pride over what they've accomplished in the kingdom of God. And on the other side, we have this large group of Christians who are filled with shame because they've never succeeded at being a Christian. That they've failed. They've, they've tried to go to the, to the Bible studies, but they just can't understand what's going on. They can't understand scripture. They can never read through the Bible in a year. They've tried many times and they always fail. They can't memorize scripture. Praying, they, they're not very good at praying. I mean, they just struggle speaking in general. And it's like, like me, <laughs> they have a hard time speaking words and intelligibly, right? And, and so they struggle with that. And so they, they just have never have, have been able to be successful. And so they're filled with shame, thinking that basically they have somehow failed at being a Christian. We have set up a system in the church in America that rewards 
the pious and punishes the immoral. I'm struck as I read the Gospels how Jesus treated the pious versus how he treated the immoral. We have a tendency when someone walks in the doors of our church that we pay attention to the outward appearance. We pay attention to the way they talk. Do they know Christianese? They got that figured out? Do they dress the part? Do they look holy? Or do they look messy? They look like trouble. Do they smell like trouble? One verse is all we need to debunk all of this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Two verses, I guess. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can be proud of what they've accomplished and no one can feel shame about how they've not measured up. Salvation is by grace, but the problem is most of us Christians, we've got that figured out. Oh, yeah, salvation by grace. We, yeah, I, there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. I, I, there's no way. I mean, salvation is totally by grace. It's because of God's goodness and his, his love for us and his amazing grace. Saved by grace. The problem where we have in the church today is that we don't recognize that we're also sanctified by grace. Because as soon as we get saved, we step into the church and then we begin to achieve. Again, this is the meritocracy that we have set up in the church. The meritocracy is not for the lost. The meritocracy is for the saved. And we have set up a system in the church where discipleship programs are set aside to be able to delineate who is the most holy among us. Who's the most mature? Who is the most holy? Who's the, who's the one who we look up to? Who's the one that has it all together? Who's the one that is the most righteous? Well, they've, they've finished all of these Bible studies, and so look at where they're at. I mean, they're leading a Bible study. Oh, my gosh, look at all these people that they brought into the kingdom. Oh, my gosh, they're such great evangelists. They are so great. They're so amazing. Missionaries, again, you know, in the alliance especially, missionaries are elevated to this. Oh, my gosh, you are so holy. You're so amazing. Those are the elites in the kingdom of God as missionaries. Now, trust me, we need missionaries. But if you think that somehow God is going to be pleased or appeased and you will be seen as successful if you become a missionary. Well, you're gravely mistaken. Because we're not just saved by grace. We are sanctified by grace. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we are immediately one with Jesus. John 17, 20 to 21. I do not ask for those only. This is Jesus, his prayer, right? High priestly prayer before he heads, heads back into the kingdom, right? But also I pray for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, 
are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we are one with Jesus. We are one with the, king, with, the, with the king. We are one with the Lord. We are one with him, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. We can't become more one with him after we bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord. We also are eternally adopted into the family of God, Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also glorify with him. We are adopted into the family of God eternally. We can't get better adopted. We can't get more adopted. We are fully adopted the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. We are fully and eternally justified, which means we are no longer guilty for the sins that we have committed. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What was the one act of righteousness? It was Jesus. We are also, at the moment we bow our knee to Jesus, Lord, fully and eternally righteous because we receive the imputed righteousness just as Jesus receives the imputed sinfulness on him on the cross, Romans 5, 19. The next verse, for as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's, the many were made sinner, so by the one man's, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. All of these things come to us at salvation and are our sanctification, all by grace. We receive a brand new identity. In John chapter 3, it talks about being born again. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that therefore, if anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, but the new has come. We are brand new, and when we're brand new, we can't be old again. All of this is not based on our behaviors. We can't get closer to Jesus based on our behaviors. We're already one with him the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. We cannot get more fully adopted in the family or be somehow seen as a better heir than the other heirs. We're all equal heirs in the body of Christ. We cannot get more justified if you're justified, you're justified. You're no longer guilty for your sin. That is not just a condition at salvation. It is a condition throughout our life as Christians for all eternity. And we cannot just be perfect for a moment. We receive the imputed righteousness of Jesus at the moment of salvation, and that continues for all time. We are saved and sanctified by grace. 1 Corinthians 1.30, just one last one to throw in there. And Micah, this goes back. I skipped it earlier. There you go. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is our sanctification. So because of this truth that we are not just saved by grace, but we are sanctified by grace... We spend our life as Christians 
enjoying Jesus, not striving for Jesus. That's what that word enjoying our relationship with Jesus means. We're not striving after Jesus. We're not trying to find Jesus. We're not trying to get close to Jesus. We are enjoying what we already have. We don't strive for sanctification. It's a gift by his amazing grace. As a result, there's no room for pride. We can't say, look at the great things I've done. Because anything that we accomplish is because of him. But it's also, there's no room for shame. And let me tell you, there's folks probably in this room who are filled with shame, feeling like they're just a horrible Christian because they've failed and they're sinners and they've messed up over and over again and Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with them and that he's still departed from them and he's left them far away and your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. All of that is a lie. Jesus is with you, always with you. It doesn't matter if you sin. It doesn't matter if you do righteousness. What matters is that he is righteous and that you are one with him. Our identity is secure by grace, not by our effort, not by our accomplishments, not by our succeeding in the Christian game, the Christian meritocracy. We enjoy allowing Jesus to live through us, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. There are too many of us who are living our Christian lives, striving for perfection, which just nullifies the grace of God. Then why did we need Jesus to die? If you could do it on your own, this is Paul's argument throughout Galatians. Like if you could do it on your own, like if you could just discipline yourself and be able to live perfectly and righteous on your own, then why did Jesus die? But yet we as Christians do this all the time. I, I see it everywhere. I see it in the way we communicate. I see it in the way we live. I see it in the shame that is on faces. I see it in the pride that's on faces. I see it in myself all the time. This is a battle I am constantly fighting. Stop striving and let Jesus do the work. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 gives us some interesting perspective, I think, on this as well. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we stop there and many people say, well, see, we're supposed to strive for our, Christian, our salvation. We got to strive for this sanctification. We got to strive for this you know, living it out. We got to do it. But then what does it say? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so what do we do? What is discipleship? There seems to be a part that we play in it. It's not just God alone and we have nothing to no say in it at all. It's not totally predestination. God just made it all happen on his own. There is no free will. No, there's free will and there's God even as Christians. But where do we fit in this? Discipleship is not about being focused on holiness that leads that because that leads to self-absorption. 
The reality is our job in the discipleship realm, the sanctification realm, the the living the Christian life realm is simply agreement with Jesus. Knowing him, seeking to know him, that's it. We just, where are you, Jesus? What are you doing, Jesus? What what are you about doing right now, Jesus? How can I join you, Jesus? What are you calling me to, Jesus? Where are we going, Jesus? What is your direction, Jesus? That is our focus, See, we've got all of these discipleship programs that are focused on our own holiness. We're focused on our, we're so self-absorbed. This is the way that we live. That it's all about, you know, my, my faith is all about getting me holy. And so we have these self-help books. We have these books on sanctification about how we can, you know, take, take, uh, take hold of sins and, and how we can deal with those sins, how we can get past those sins, how we can create new habits. You know, all this, you know, three weeks of, you know, you just do the same thing for three weeks and you got, see, we can do it. We don't need Jesus. We can do it. We've got it figured out. No. All of that is self-absorption. It's all about me. It's not that we're not important, but Jesus is the focal point. I think there are too many Christians that walk through life constantly thinking that it's about me getting more holy. It's about me getting more righteous, about me getting more blessed, about me appeasing God in some way. Instead of just, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you going? What are we going to do today? What do you want? It's not that spiritual practices are not important, but what motivates the spiritual practices? Are we doing the spiritual practices in order to appease God? Then stop. You can't appease him any more than you already have. You're successful as a Christian. You've done it. You've bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord. You have accomplished what you've been created for. Be done with that. Spiritual practices come in when Jesus says, hey, I want you to now encounter who you are in real life. I want you to now experience my righteousness. I want you to actually see it play out and manifest in your life. And so let's go. Let's go. Let's do this journaling thing. I'm going to show you some cool stuff. You're going to encounter some new aspects that you never knew. This is who you are. This is, I've, I've done this already in you. Let me show it to you. We spend too much time as Christians looking at our focus on our good or our bad behaviors, feeling pride or feeling shame. And we've got to stop. The reality is, is most of our discipleship is detached from Jesus. They're just legalistic lists of do's and don'ts. The reality is we only experience righteousness when we join Jesus in what he's doing. We've got to to detach morality from just a list of do's and don'ts and attach morality to Jesus. If we are joining Jesus in what he's doing, then we are doing righteousness. If we are just doing a list of do's and don'ts over here, maybe they're right, maybe they're not, but if Jesus isn't in it, it's not right. 
but we just want this list. Oh, I got to just check off the list. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. Okay, now I'm holy. No. You are holy already. Enjoy it. How do you want to enjoy it? You need to be with Jesus. That's how you enjoy it. Discipleship is about knowing who Jesus is. Knowing his look. Do you know the face of Jesus? And some of you go, well, Jesus doesn't, he's not like, he's, no one's seen Jesus, right? Like, except for the disciples, like in those around him, 2000, you know. No, do you know the face of Jesus? Do you know his voice? Do you know what it sounds like? Do you know what Jesus smells like? Have you ever tasted him? How about felt his presence? You know what he feels like? In the new year, I'm going to do a, a series on spiritual senses. And we're going to look at eyes and voice and smell and taste and feel. And how do we spiritually develop those senses so that we can be aware of where Jesus is? What he's doing? Where he's going? What he's saying? In our vision statement, we have three like sub- statements, if you will, under the primary vision statement of fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ. They use key words, relying, journeying, and engaging. The first one reads as follows, and re relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word, and prayer. These three areas are where relationship with jo Jesus is enjoyed. These are the aspects or the areas of our life where we can enjoy the things that we already have in our relationship with Jesus. It's where intimacy and oneness are experienced in these three areas. It's where the spirit and his power are manifested in these three areas. And it's where purity and holiness are realized relying on the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer. The reality is, as Hebrews 11.6 tells us, caught you off guard that time. Sorry, Micah. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Relying on the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer is about faith and trust development. Us to be able to experience the faith and experience God in a way that we begin to develop that trust. We trust, it's where we learn to trust his spirit to transform and empower us. The Holy Spirit is the one who saved us and sanctified us, right? You know, he's a part of what Jesus is doing. The salvation and the sanctification, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there. He's the one that brings transformation. He's the one that empowers us. So we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to trust that God's word is true and reliable. It reveals to us who Jesus is, all the aspects of who he is, the different aspects, but it's just intellectual, so we, but we need to understand intellectually so that we can also know experientially. 
And this is part of knowing Jesus. This is part of relying on Jesus. If Jesus was just a concept, if he was just a construct of our mind or even somebody else's mind, like, how, do you really trust that? I mean, you can kind of like trust it, like gravity. Like, you know, people tell you, hey, there's gravity. It's a real thing. It's a law. Like if you step off a roof, you break your leg kind of thing. And we can go, yeah, I can get that concept. But until you're riding your bike, right, and you go off a jump and you've experienced the power of gravity, do you really totally trust and believe in it? This is the same with Jesus, right? You know, that we need to know who he is in our heads, understand what it means when he, he describes himself in Scripture, but we need to experience it personally as well. It's my belief that you really don't know something, anything, until you've experienced it personally, had a personal encounter with it. And you need to trust that God hears and responds to our prayers. He's with us. This is a big deal. Like, we, we have to, we have to, under, why do we pray? Like, we wouldn't pray if we didn't think that God was here. Like, if he wasn't near. Like, if he couldn't hear. Those are three cool words that kind of just all go together. It's almost like a poem. Right? I mean, it's three, like, he's, he's like, we wouldn't pray if we didn't believe that he was listening. So this, the very act of prayer shows our faith. But then as we begin to pray things, right, our prayers begin to change. As we begin to encounter him in different ways, as he begins to respond in different ways, then we begin to pray in different ways. As we begin to see what he's capable of firsthand. The first time we pray for someone for healing, we kind of go, eh, okay, yeah, I'm going to pray for you, eh, but we kind of don't really think it's going to happen. But then the first time that it actually happens right in front of you and you see it happen, you go, oh my gosh, this God is powerful. He does heal. And so I'm going to pray with more boldness the next time, right? Because I know he can do it. <clears throat> the next statement in our vision statement is, Journeying in life with our church family in honesty and humility. This is the other area where we can encounter, experience the oneness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the holiness and the purity of life realized that we have. We can experience that in journeying with God's family. The reality is, is that Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you've bowed your knee to Jesus as Lord, then you need to be a part of his body. And you have to be a part of it in relationship. You can't just be kind of standing on the edges and thinking that, you know, somehow that, you know, this is enough. You can't just think that, you know, it's just about me and Jesus, that me and Jesus, we just, we just, we've got this relationship, this connection, and it's enough. No, no, no. If it's you and Jesus, that means it's you and Jesus and the body and his body. It's all together. You can't separate them. This is the reality that we need to get into our brains for some of us. Most of you here understand it, I think, because you're here. But there's some who are maybe home online watching this. And, and, and again, there's reasons to be home and online. You can't come to church. I get that. But there's, other, there, there's many who are home and online, and there is no reason other than, well, you know, it's just more convenient for me to watch it at home. You can't get relationship from a TV screen. Social media has proven that. doesn't matter how many friends you have on social media. You have no friends if that's all the friends that you have. True friendship only happens face-to-face. -face. 
to connection only happens face to face. So it is in the church where we journey together with God's family that we encounter these realities. We are comforted by Jesus. We are encouraged by Jesus through the body of Christ. We are challenged by Jesus and we are changed by Jesus as we commune with the body of Christ. But we also have the opportunity to serve. We also, in the church, have the opportunity to join Jesus and what he's doing in other people's lives. We can be the encourager. We can be the comforter. We can be the challenger. We can be the, one, the change agent in the other person's life. Not on our own power, but with Jesus. If we step in and are willing to have that conversation, if we're willing to get to know people, if we're willing to speak out the things that come to our minds as we're in that conversation. If you think that comfort, encouragement, challenge, and change only happens from the pulpit, then you're, you don't understand the body of Christ. The third statement, <clears throat> engaging our neighbor with God's love in authentic and caring relationship. Again, this, this, this goes back to being in relationship with Jesus. If we are in relationship with Jesus, well, Jesus is the head of the body, so we'll be a part of that community. If we're going to be in relationship with Jesus, well, Jesus has a mission that he's on. And he is pursuing everyone who has yet to bow their knee to him. He loves them, and he doesn't want to lose any of them, right? 2 Peter 3, 9, right? He's not slow, right? He's patient. He's want everyone. Yeah. Those who are rooting for the end of the world to happen, you understand that that's not Jesus' heart. Those of you who are rooting for the, the rapture to, to come and happen right now so that you can take, get taken out of here and we can be done and we can be in the eternal kingdom and be over with, uh, you understand that's not Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart is to pursue the lost until the very, very end. Jesus is always pursuing. And if we're going to be in relationship with Jesus, guess what we're going to be doing? We're pursuing. Again, we've been in a, we've been in a Christian nation, and I use those quotation, air quotes correctly this time. We've been in a Christian nation where we just kind of looked around, well, well we're, all, we're all Christians. My neighbor's a Christian. Oh, yeah, he believes in Jesus. Now he goes to church. You know, it's all, we've been in this Christian nation for too long where we think that the only place to do evangelism is down on the streets or overseas. And we've got to stop that. Because the reality is there are too many people around us who think they're okay because they're a good person. But they don't know Jesus. We, you cannot just assume that your neighbor, because they go to church or they say they know Jesus, that they're saved and they're going into the kingdom, into the eternal kingdom when the time comes. You can't. We got to know people. 
We got to get out there. Jesus is pursuing them. Are you listening? Are you aware of that? Are you know what he's doing? Do you, you hear him calling? Are you out there joining him? This, see, this is again, the self-absorption of discipleship and church life is all about me. We navel gaze all day long in the church. We spend all our time looking around. Oh, look at, I've got a new hair growing in that navel. That's really cool. Look at that. It's so pretty. It's gray. Oh, I love gray. Is that kind of gross? I'm sorry. But we've got to stop doing that. We've really got to stop doing that gross stuff. Because the reality is, is Jesus is not looking in here. It's not that he comes. It's not that his presence is here. Not that he doesn't bless us. It's not that he doesn't caring for our hearts, comforting us when we need it, encouraging us when we need it, challenging us when we need it. But understand that he is out there working constantly. Are you? What are we doing as a church? What are we doing individually? Are we on mission with Jesus? Are we pursuing the lost like Jesus is? Then I have to ask, do we really know Jesus? Are we really aware of Jesus? I think this is part of what is motivating this, this series on spiritual senses. Like that I, I, Some of us, I just don't, we don't know. We don't see him. We're not aware of it. And we need to open our eyes because the reality is, is we can't always see physically what God is doing spiritually. He's working in both realms, but if we're only looking at the physical with our physical senses, we're missing out on half of the work that he's doing. If we know Jesus, if we bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord, then we're going to join him as he builds a kingdom. It's not about whether I'm going to get holy someday or not. It's not about whether I got figured out, you know, I made it through the discipleship program. It's not about whether I've made a disciple who's making a disciple who's making a disciple. It's not about that. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is pursuing the lost. Now, maybe he'll use you making a disciple. Maybe that's what he'll lead you into. Maybe that's how he's going to use you, right? I don't know. But we can't just, you know, add some kind of, you know, program and say, okay, this is how it's going to come. No, no, no. What is Jesus doing? And I do not believe that we as a church, that it's our job as the elder board and my job as the pastor to dictate to all of you how you're supposed to live this out. Again, we've got to stop relying on other people to intercede for us between God and, and us. We, it's Jesus is the one. He's the intercessor. It's not that I don't pray for you guys. I do. That's a form of intercession. But if you want me... To go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want this person to do? I'm sorry, that's the wrong motivation. That's, that's not the way it's going to work. We've got to stop doing that. It's not about our church coming up with a, an evangelistic program that we can tell you, oh, just join this. Again, we, we can give you tools. We need to do that. We need a better job of that. We need to encourage you in that. We need to give you opportunities. But understand, it's between you and Jesus. What do you see him doing? What is he calling you to not just in our spiritual practices, but in all of these areas, in relying on the Holy Spirit, God's word and power and prayer. What, what is he calling you into in that area? On the back of our vision card, I couldn't, uh, our vision cards are well, not here for some reason, but anyway, on the back of it, it has these questions like, what, what, is, how can, what is God calling you? What is Jesus calling you into more fully rely on him, right? What is Jesus calling you into journey more fully with your family? What is he calling you to engage more fully with your neighbor, right? So it's spiritual disciplines, but it's also these realities, right? Hmm.
All right, worship team, why don't you come up as I, I close this. I think there's many in this room who are, who are on board and kind of resonate with a lot of what I've just said and you've developed this same perspective over time. And there's others that are maybe challenged by it. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it or maybe you've heard it several times but you're still trying to get your brain around it and how this works. But understand that our vision statement about fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's purposeful that it's not about accomplishing something. It is my conviction, and this is the vision that God has given me, my conviction that my role as a pastor or as just an average Joe, whoever, just, you know, as a Tim Peters, as a, just a guy just sitting in the pew today. My job, you're welcome, Tim. Welcome to the elder board, by the way, starting tomorrow. Yeah. It's my conviction that all of us, the only thing we need to do is seek Jesus. If we seek Jesus, we will experience the holiness that he has given us by grace. We'll experience it in real life. We won't just be righteous and holy in position but we actually will live out that righteousness and holiness in practicality. We just got to seek Jesus. We don't have to do a discipleship program. We don't have to do spiritual practices. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. We just have to seek Jesus. Now, he uses those things. Don't get me wrong. But we just got to seek Jesus. If we seek Jesus, our faith will be developed. We'll come to know and understand him more fully. We'll understand who we are. but also we'll begin to journey with the family and the church, the body of Christ in, in new and wonderful and awesome ways. And we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in building his kingdom. We just gotta seek Jesus. Will you join me in seeking to fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus? I hope so. This is where I'm headed. If you're new to our church, you want to know what we're about, this is what I'm about. So as long as I'm in this position and who knows how long God will keep me here, this is the direction I'm going. I just want to seek Jesus. Thank you for seeking Jesus with me. I know many of you are already on with that and it's been fun experiencing new things that we never would have if we tried to do things differently. And I think he's leading us to amazing things. I feel like the Lord has given me a, crazy dreams. I don't know if they're ever going to happen, but he just gave me crazy dreams. And I don't think we'd ever been there if I was trying to do something else, if I was trying to become holy. It's because I'm just seeking Jesus. 
And if that crazy dream's gonna happen, it's not because I'm gonna figure it out and I've got the great strategy that's gonna make it happen. Not. I'm just gonna keep seeking Jesus. Wherever he leads, whatever strategy he has, even if I don't even know what the strategy is. The reality is that Jesus sometimes, like, you know, they're so, so confused sometimes by Jesus. Why, why are you doing that? What, what happened? You just fed 5,000. You got this mass of people that are all around you, and they're all, like, worshiping like they want to be around. I mean, don't you think that's what you want? Now you can share with them the truth about who you are and all this kind of No. He says, hey, unless you eat my flesh in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. And they're all like, what? Cannibalism? Seriously? And a bunch of them took off. And what do the disciples say? Jesus comes to them right after this. All of them left. He says, what about you guys? What about you 12? Are you going to leave too? What did they say? Where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of life. All right, you stand with me? Let's worship some more together. Heavenly Father, you are good. (laughs) Lord, thank you for being good. It's proven by what uh, Jesus did on the cross. He came and he died for us, resurrected from the dead and defeated death and broke the chains of sin and death over our life. Lord, these are the gifts. These are the blessings. These are the things that we can have when we bow our knee to Jesus, when we make our life about Jesus, when we allow him to be Lord truly Lord and follow his lead and seek him each day knowing and understanding it's about being united and walking with him that all the good things that we get to encounter is there it's in those it's in following Jesus and being one with him that that we have comfort in times of sorrow support in those times when The world seems to be falling apart. Lord, I pray that you'd help us individually and corporately to be a church that first and foremost seeks your face, seeks to know you, seeks to hear from you, seeks to follow you, seeks to join you in your pursuit of the lost, building and strengthening your kingdom. John 15, 1 to 11, I am the true vine, and my Father, Jesus says, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears, does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy 
may be full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for being here this New Year's Eve. Pray that you have a blessed new year coming up. Uh, if you would like to stick around this morning and spend some time, uh, more time in worship, then we're going to continue to play a song or two more. Uh, I would love for you to stay. If uh, you would like some prayer, we would love to pray for you. Please come forward. We want to join you in prayer and come alongside you in whatever's going on. And maybe it'd be celebration or comfort or encouragement, whatever you may need. We, we want to be there and walk with you in that. If you're ready to fellowship and enjoy uh, the, 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 the goodness of uh, companionship and true friendship, then we encourage you to head out to the fellowship hall and connect with people out there before you head out. God bless church. Hope you have a great new year.